Hello! Welcome to a new episode of Curtain Twitchers with us, your hosts, George and Liv. For those who don't know us, we used to be performers, but these days we mostly just sit around at home fiddling with the thermostat. This is the last episode of this season. Can we say season, do you Uh, think? Do four episodes really constitute a season? Yeah, well, you know, there's four seasons in a year, so Mm. if anything, we've actually completed an entire year before January's even over. God, we're good. Yeah, so productive. Anyway, this is the last one of this lot Mm. um we hope to come back with some more at some point um if we can be asked really yeah it's a lot of effort isn't it it's a lot of effort and you know we're really busy at the moment there's a lot on our plate yeah it's quite a lot going on i mean i actually think what we need is a sponsor yes i think you're right i think you're right if anyone wants to sponsor season three you know we'll promote literally anything so who do we have as a season finale? Well, Liv, today we are joined by journalist, author and performer Rhiannon Stiles. Rhiannon began performing on the East London cabaret scene in the mid-noughties and was known for her striking visual performances. In 2015, she became Elle magazine's first trans columnist with her groundbreaking column, The New Girl, which led to the publication of her memoir of the same name in 2017. Rhiannon now lives in Berlin, which is where we chatted to her over Zoom back in November. Let's dive in. Curtain Twitchers. With Curtain Twitchers. How are you? I'm well, actually. I'm finding this lockdown a bit more challenging than the first one, I have to say. And I think you're nodding, and I think a lot of people are feeling the same way. How is it? You're in Berlin, right? Correct, yes. What is the the vibe in Berlin now, in terms of how are people responding to lockdown? What is the vibe? Well, I think it seems like there's pretty much one rule for somebody and one rule for somebody else. And that, that is where my resentment towards this lockdown lies, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, people here are very considerate and I find that generally people are abiding by rules in most areas. Like, for example, like face masks have been like, um, you've, you've Oh, what's the one I'm looking for? You're only allowed to wear face masks on the public transport. It's been that way for months and pretty much everyone abides by that rule. Um, so yeah, I think Germans generally are quite, are quite a rule abiding people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, not being quite the same in London. No. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been in Berlin now? I've been in Berlin four years now. Wow. Yeah, since 2016. Wow. Did you go just after the Brexit vote or just before? Um, just after, but that was only coincidental. Right. It wasn't like Brexit happened and then we were like, oh my God, we've got to get off this sinking ship right now. <laughs> it's like we were, me and my partner, I'm saying we, because me and my partner, we were in Neukölln and this girl walked past us wearing blue cowboy boots and we were like, oh my God, Berlin is so cool. Let's move here. I mean, how many people have been sat outside a coffee shop in Neukölln thinking the same thing? <laughs> and then six months later, we were here. Um, and you were—you went to study, right? That's that's what you started. Or that's what you started doing when you were there. You were studying performance. I I was here a year and a half before I started my MA. Yeah, oh. I've got. I've now got a master's in dance. Would you believe? Oh wow. Only in Berlin is that possible. (laughs) (laughs) I've had no prior experience in dance at all. Had you really not? 
No. I feel like you're, you're such a, mover, a moving performer. Like, yeah. I feel like movement is so part of your work. Yeah. Such a mover and a shaker, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all tits and teeth. I, le I, I learned everything at Bistrotech. That was my performance training. But it was great. What great training. I mean, I feel like we, we, yeah, <laughs> we trained them. We did. That <laughs> was our training. Yeah. You went to that academy too, didn't you? Yeah, we went to Bistrotech Academy. academy. <laughs> Here's a stage with some people watching you. No. Yeah, we've got the tape to project it to the ceiling and one of the lights is hanging from a, from a cloak hanger. Make <laughs> <laughs> so it while you will, exactly. <laughs> I know we got through that. Yeah, but that was, that was really my own experience. I wasn't like a kid who was um, pushed towards drama school or dramatics. I was too shy. I was too self-aware. And it was like, I just didn't do that. So that came later. Mm. And so being in Berlin, I quickly realized that when you move to Berlin, because somebody had nice blue cowboy boots, when you get here, you realize you need to have much more security. So <laughs> um, going to university provided that security, actually. And that was really what was great about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because you did a post um, about the show that you've made in Berlin, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in the post, you said, oh, you know, not, not everyone knows this about me, but I used to be a performer or I, I kind of started out performing because a lot of people know you as a writer now as well mm -hmm. and, and, and various other things. But I, that really, I was really surprised by that because I think of you as a performer because we started out at Beach Tech together and because the work you presented there was, it still is in my mind as some of the most exciting stuff. I've, like, it's, you're such a brilliant performer. Um, so yeah, that was that really surprised me. So how how have you found it, sort of starting as a performer and then not performing for a while, and kind of coming back to it through being in Berlin? Yeah, that that's lovely for you to say. Thank you. Um, I suppose because also filling people in that aren't necessarily aware is that the reason I stopped performing for a while because I transitioned. So when I was going through my transition, my gender transition, I. I needed to step back from the performance world because the performance world was a bit unreal mm. and it wasn't like I, and I was, I was very much already known in the performance sense for being my previous self, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it. So I needed to kind of just like step back from it, do something else for a while, see what happens, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. I went to train as a hairdresser. I quickly realized that, um, I'm not the best hairdresser in the world, nor could I probably ever be if I still had carried on training. But it was really great in the sense that I was able to learn a lot of other stuff that, that kind of living in a nighttime scenario wasn't teaching me, um, particularly about myself. Mm. And so I sort of stepped back from performing then and then moved to Berlin. So it was kind of like people in Berlin hadn't got the association, mm. perhaps that some people in London already had because they didn't previously know me. So it kind of felt like I was starting out again here. Mm. Um, and so I think also because I'd done some writing in the time that I'd stepped away from performance also, um, yeah, I just felt like, I needed the time to kind of come back to it with fresh eyes and new experiences and definitely being in Berlin and doing my masters here kind of gave me the chance to work with people, talk to people and do things that I, you know, wouldn't necessarily have had. And that was what was great about it. 
Do you think the work you've been like making in Berlin is, is it similar to the work you were making before in Beast Check? So I, I remember it's so, it was so visual, the stuff that we saw, like the, the head um, outline uh, one you did. Mm -hmm. That's really rubbish for people listening to this. That was an amazing, <laughs> amazing visual. <laughs> rubbish hand movements. Um, and the balloon and like, it was like, I, there's so striking images um, that's what I always think of your of your performance work as being. Would you say the stuff you're making at the moment is that is it similar in that way? I don't think so. I think I think there was very much um, like I never was a kind of character performer. Like like you have characters, and you know, for me it was almost like I was picking up many different guises and using kind of costumes and props. Uh, as way to as kind of ways to articulate narrative mm. um, and that was kind of like something I was really inspired to do because I really liked I studied my BA actually was in jewelry design and through through that BA I was really making kind of um, ostentatious really big kind of adornment pieces that just lent themselves to performance really well and that was my kind of uh, way into performance and um, I think I think a lot of that I'd worked through. I mean, working with giant balloons is an absolute nightmare. And um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I have PTSD from those days because of those <laughs> balloons and the, <laughs> the amount of stress they caused me. Um, but yeah, so I think I, think I, I I think I went as far as I did actually at that point with the means that I had. And um, so the work I make now, no, the recent work was more character-based actually more in the olden days I never used to talk so much mm. as well I mean I, I would use the word mime to describe it but only mime in a contemporary sense yeah. um, not in a sort of traditional way so yeah I think much more it took me a longer time to find my voice on stage as a mm. performer I mean my actual speaking voice not yeah her. Do you think that the process of, of transitioning and documenting your transition, because you had your column for, it was L, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and then writing The New Girl. Do you think part of finding your voice as a performer on stage was going through that writing process? Totally, absolutely. And um, letting go of a lot of the fear I had around it, actually. In the beginning, there were times when... Uh, I was called to speak on stage for various kind of performances. I'm, I'm draw, bringing to mind a, pant a few pantomimes at Bistrotech that used to happen. <laughs> um, and this was like 2007 or around that time. And um, yeah, and I just, I just never felt comfortable. I never felt confident because that really doesn't, didn't feel like where I, I could apply my skill set. My skill set was much more visual narrative uh, and so yeah, I think, I think the process of writing just allowed me to kind of develop that side of myself. It never had the chance before to be filled out in a way. Have you felt um, that this writing process has helped you connect with an audience in, in, in a sense? Because I've seen you, you've been doing your, a lot of mindfulness meditation on Instagram as well, which is I guess it's about, you know, it's about your process, but it, the reason you're doing it on Instagram, I'm guessing, is because you want to connect with other people as well. You want to bring other people into it. How is that kind of working for you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. I definitely feel like I've been able to, like, use different parts of my creativity. And, and like, kind of with writing, 
when I got the job as the L columnist in 2015, um, I had never written before. And so that was quite a challenge because they were offering me this job and I was like, okay, I really, I really feel like now's a good point in my transition where I can share what I'm going through to kind of uh, inspire others to kind of add a voice to a, a predominantly kind of media, which is uh, mainly non-trans voices. And um, so I took the challenge because it was really, you know, important, I think, for me to kind of in sort of a destiny kind of way it was an important part of my process um and so I did that and that then led on to my memoir The New Girl and I think through the process of writing I've just found more confidence than I've ever had and and it sort of ties in with the meditation and I think maybe it goes back to your earlier point about how I described a post on Instagram about being a performer. It's like, sometimes there's just so many labels. Mm. Like it's really difficult to say, actually what I do is I'm a writer, I'm a performer, I'm a musician, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this. I'm, it's like, cause I feel like, I don't know, it's just really difficult to kind of like put it all together, but it's all comes from the same kind of creative muscle in a way. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to explore and expand. And I think the the recent meditation work that I've been sharing on Instagram is a reflection of what I do personally to keep myself kind of afloat and something which I've been able to use over the last eight years or so to kind of really just kind of ground. Mm. And so I think that's generally kind of what I want, why I started to want to share that with people. Um, particularly with the lockdown and winter coming in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's just a much more kind of a, mm, a, way of, a way of generating kind of positivity and sharing stuff that feels kind of like what people need right now. It's so interesting as well that how like all these, like it's a holistic kind of experience and cr process of creating, like, and I sometimes forget that myself like even just thinking like when we were doing the show in in at the start of the year it was quite a big show for us and I was anxious about singing a lot more than I you know normally sing because I could tend to sort of be back up singing rather than lead and like, oh. so we started having singing lessons which is you know very useful get, getting my voice into shape for this big show but I absolutely loved it like and it we, we and George used to joke about how saying how like our singing lessons were like therapy like they were like yes we're going to like learn a bit about our how to sing but it, because for me especially my voice is connected to so many different intricacies about my own sort of life and personality and like just getting deep in delving a bit into that was suddenly it it really affected in a positive way then my process of creating and writing and and ultimately performing on stage and mm. I think that it's so it's so nice to hear you talk about meditation as like basically part of your creative muscle in general because i think we forget i forget that sometimes that it is it's all these things feed into how you then are on stage but also on stage it feeds into how you are otherwise you know just for everything really <laughs> yeah no you're bang on it so that's totally right because i think <clears throat> it's that that process of really getting inside your body the singing allows you to like feel your lungs your rib cage your heart yeah everything sort of like sinks in different ways and it's like wow you i can come out of like a singing or a chanting thing feeling like 10 times bigger than i did before mm. and anyone can do it it's so yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone yeah. Can do it. Absolutely. I've become, um, during lockdown, I've been doing yoga 
like properly kind of you know as a sort of doing it every day making myself like to begin with I was making myself do it and now I don't feel like I am because it's that same thing of it makes me feel high like afterwards like it's the only at the moment things feel so kind of um I was talking to someone recently and it kind of lockdown and this whole year has been going on for such a long period of time that it's starting to feel like we're almost existing rather than living and doing something like yoga or something where you connect physically with yourself it's sort of a reminder that like oh yeah. yeah I'm actually I'm living and when I do that and my body relaxes suddenly my voice changes and I feel happier um and that's a really nice thing <laughs> and it's really nice to it's really nice to learn that I think like so much, I've so much avoided connecting with myself physically for so much of my life because I think like a lot of like the skinny queer kids you know you bullied through school so you avoided all PE lessons like sport and activity was something that was like I'm just going to focus on being intellectually stimulated but never physically stimulated because that's kind of opening myself up to stuff so it's a, it's a process of sort of learning to undo that and be like actually it makes me feel good to be physically in control of myself yeah yeah no that's exactly right all those hang-ups that are we we went through as like queer people maybe through educational systems or whatever it's like absolutely get rid of that it's like the same process for me too when I first started doing yoga and these more holistic practices I was like why the hell did I turn my nose up at this when I was 14 it's like it totally makes sense and and think for me now it's like also if it do, you're right Liv it feeds into your performer your performer character you are because you find like inner reserves mm. of things that you maybe didn't uh weren't aware of so much in the past yeah, yeah. and also I think it's slightly there's a slight sense of having a bit of control over your mm. something like that I wasn't all I particularly maybe perhaps with my voice I didn't always feel like in control of but something about your body and especially like learning like dance routines for the show we had to do at the beginning I was really nervous about doing that but by the end I loved it because mm. once you sort of get over the hang-ups and just be like you know and, and and you feel like actually I can do this and, and I'll do it my way and I'll have ownership on over my physicality which yeah. is a weird thing having done performance for like 13 years and not to yes. feel necessarily an ownership yes. over your physical yeah it's, it's a strange yeah. Yes, I agree. It's like, and that's what people really resonate with when they can see that, that, that they can see that you're feeling that it's good and it's making you, it's generating something within you. It's much better than seeing a performer just reciting lines, you know, because they have to, it's like you actually see into you. Yeah. Yeah. The revelation that I had this year when we were doing, well, earlier when we were doing singing lessons was that, um, the higher the heel, the more it obviously affects your posture. And so I find that when I'm rehearsing and I'm wearing flat shoes, I can sing in a certain way. And then on stage, my range is different and I can't reach certain things. And then I was singing to my singing teacher was like, well, you're probably wearing, your shoes are probably too high. Like if your shoes are doing a real high rake like that, mm-hmm. your whole spine has changed mm-hmm. and then your diaphragm has changed. So wear mm-hmm. lower shoes. And I did it and I could sing different. <laughs> it's really amazing. I'm that's really fascinating. years to take that. Yeah. Can't believe that's my problem. Wear lower shoes. sensible flats. Flat shoes. That's why why so many drag queens have to lip sync. Because those bloody heels. (laughs) Can't be singing. (laughs) We are uncovering the truth here today, aren't we? (laughs) They don't talk about this on What's the Tea. (laughs) Um, The piece that you made in lockdown with, which was part of a collective, wasn't it? Yes. That was, was that for an audience of one? Yes. So, um, yes, I, 
uh, I started a collective, it's called the Mineral Vasa Collective. And basically the MA that I did at the University de Kunst uh, was called MA Solo Dance Authorship. And it's for performers or artists who use dance or movement or any kind of creative practice in their work. So it kind of um, attracts a lot of people from different uh, disciplines, say. So visual artists, performers, dancers, anything in between. And um, they only accept like a nine students per year. And so there was eight of us in our year because one person couldn't uh, attend in the end. And we all got on really well. We all really liked each other, which I think was quite a, a turnaround for the MA because the previous years hadn't kind of gelled so much, but we all just really got on. And we really enjoyed creating together and we created something during our first year. And then when we we're going towards the end of our second year, we, we, we formed the collective as a way to just kind of bridge the kind of coming out of university, not really knowing what to do maybe, or uh, just kind of to continue working together in the future. And then through kind of our connections, some of the people's connections in Berlin, we got this gig at a venue called Doc Elf. And um, yeah, and then Corona hit. So we came out of university and instead of having that kind of like, oh my God, what are we gonna do now? It's like we couldn't do anything. So the pandemic was kind of quite nice in that respect. <laughs> um, and so we started to work on our new show. And um, we knew that we had the date in September, but we started working in April. I mean, September felt like, you know, years away. And we thought September will come and the pandemic will be over. It will be fine. We can just do a normal theatre show and everyone will be happy. And so we started working weekly through Zoom, basically. And we were like setting each other, we were setting each other tasks and we had sort of had homework. We had to kind of collect creative things based on a theme. So we're kind of like doing a lot of the stuff we were doing at school and carrying on this kind of research, thinking about like questions like, what is a collective with the current environment, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then um, June came around and it was evident that restrictions were going to remain in place and we had a meeting with the with the theatre and they were like if you still want to go ahead with this you can um but you're only allowed 10 people in the theatre and we were like well there's seven of us so how do we get around that <laughs> <laughs> you know plus when you've got like a tech person a light person yeah you know, everything else front of house blah blah so we went away and we were like, shall we do this? Shall we really realistically do this? And we were like, I think, you know, we wanted to kind of honor the collective and our, our decision to work together through this kind of current situation. And, and, um, and also the theater and the space giving us the, the space for free, the theater giving us the space for free. And um, we're like, let's just do it and see what happens. So we came up with a concept that only one audience member at a time would kind of see the work. And so we started, we started making the work around it and we kind of developed methodologies and ways of kind of working together. And by this point, we were able to kind of rent rehearsal studios and kind of piece together all this stuff we'd been kind of uh, collecting via Zoom for the past few months. And things were going really well, but we made one fatal error. And that was, we never told the theatre our plan. <laughs> I mean, we were so involved in the artistic process that we just didn't, you know, we were producing the show, directing the show, performing the show, making the show. We kind of just didn't relay that information. 
<laughs> and then when we sent in our like you know press stuff a month before theater was like yeah hi guys can we can you come in for a chat <laughs> <laughs> so we were like oh god we can't change the show because we've literally spent hours devising this concept we've made a performance that only is unique for one person at a time and we really need to kind of stick by this idea and kind of really wonderfully the the theatre were like well we were hoping we were going to sell you know 20 30 40 tickets per night obviously that's not the case so we kind of had to come to kind of a compromise because uh you know they needed to they needed to collect some revenue and this was a really good learning like kind of like learning curve in our collective is kind of a, you know about the revenue that the theater needs to kind of accumulate in the end the compromise was that we could have one person but we'd have to perform the show 28 times <laughs> wow <laughs> how long is the show <laughs> an hour <laughs> So, so, so over how many days? Not over, over four days. <gasps> we did it. Um, we did we did five shows Thursday and Friday, like five shows per night Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday. I think we did eight shows. Oh my wow. god! So it was crazy. We were literally like on a conveyor belt. It was like one person in, do the show, get them out, reset, next person in, do the show. And it was quite amazing in a way because in generally in performance, you don't get to do the work that much. I mean, you might do two nights in a theatre, you know, and you have weeks of build up. You do two nights, it's done. You hopefully you get a tour or whatever, you know, but like this was like being at Edinburgh, but like condensed into like four days. Cause it was like, you have to nail it out. And you learn so much in that process. Mm. Actually, when you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, obviously the performance changes so much cause you get tired and um, it's a real endurance test mm. as a performer. Yeah. That's like physically yeah. and emotionally, that must've been so exhausting. Cause like Edinburgh is, full on but you have yeah. you only do a show like we only did a show a day so we'd have all of the yeah. next day to sort of process it if there's any changes we want to make and da, 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 but to not not have that processing time you're just like must have been yeah we had like 15 minutes between each person so that was literally our processing time our time for notes our time to like you know put a like you know cereal bar down your neck and then you were out off onto the next thing and it's like it was great yeah it was really great and then literally at the end of it for two days I was in bed crying you know it was really emotional I didn't anticipate it being so physically kind of like mm. um, to have that effect at all the show was really great in the sense that depending on who the spectator was and what energy they brought actually really affected the show so mm -hmm. there were moments when some people well one person came and they were really quite moved by it emotionally and were crying and when you're in a scenario where like there's seven performers sat around a table with a random member of the public who's the spectator who's crying it's like it just you have to really kind of like adapt what you're doing really quickly to like kind of like acknowledge and be aware of how this person is kind of physically dealing with what the situation they are in because we didn't kind of like we kept within the kind of restrictions in the sense that we never went uh 
more than 1.5 meters close to them but mm. still they are they are the center of attention for 45 minutes yeah. and it, some people cannot handle that mm. you know, some people really just want to kind of sit in the shadows in the theater and just watch from afar and that's fine because i like that as if i'm a spectator yeah. i don't want to be in the middle of the action but this was really putting people in the middle of the action so it was a really kind of interesting experiment in that sense as well I don't know if you've, have you, have you made any work like for digital, like online or have you been tempted to during this time? I have tried to start embracing technology. That's something I'm doing during this lockdown. And so kind of one thing I also do as a revenue stream and something that I'm really passionate about is gong baths. And oh. so, um, and sound baths, it kind of ties in with the meditation and I've been thinking about trying to translate that into a, into the digital realm and to offer gong baths virtually. Mm. That that poses loads of kind of questions about the you know qualities of sound and how do you do that. So I'm sort of slowly working on that, but it's definitely kind of like that still feels very much like a gig actually, mm. um, because it's like so it's like the fitness studios have closed, so I can't go to the yoga studios like I was doing and giving my gong baths. Um, but in terms of kind of an artistic creativeness in a, in a much more kind of a performance sense, let's say, no, I haven't tried to go online. I don't know. I don't know what that would be at the moment, to be mm. honest. Um, I am a bit ignorant about gong baths. Oh, yes. What, what, what is the, what are the, what is the, <laughs> <laughs> for me and if anyone else. Let me enlighten you. Enlighten me. <laughs> So yeah, basically I went for my first gong bath in 2012 in that lovely church in Hackney, in the middle of Hackney. And it was lovely and wonderful. And I was captivated because what you do, you go to a gong bath, you lie on a yoga mat, um, cover yourself with a blanket, put a pillow under your head, under your knees, whatever you want to do. And then somebody will literally play a gong or gongs or any kind of instrument which kind of creates uh, like a singing bowl. Do you know what a singing bowl is? One of those yeah. singing bowls. And they, what they do is they create really rich harmonics and frequencies that you wouldn't normally um, be kind of come into contact to maybe through like recorded sound. And what those frequencies do is they pass through the body. And because the body is primarily made up of liquid, obviously we know that like sound travels better through liquid than air. Mm. So they reorganize cells, believe it or not. They, yeah. flush, out, they flush out toxins, mm. they de-stress, do all sorts of amazing things. And um, you, like, you lie there basically for an hour, 45 minutes, however long the session lasts, yeah. and just kind of get absorbed or washed with the sound, hence why it's called a bath a lot of the time. It would be amazing to be able to engage with that digitally online. Yeah. I'm working it out, I'll let you know. Okay, great, thanks very much. Well, if you, <laughs> you need a guinea pig. <laughs> got a lot of toxins and I need cleansing. <laughs> exactly i know but this is the thing isn't it it's like such now so much has gone online that it's like hard to go offline it's it's hard because that like, even like like your yoga i don't know if your yoga is online but my yoga is online yeah, my entertainment is online yeah conferences business is online i mean i'd like to say i have conferences and business i don't <laughs> i mean this is the most business thing i've done for a while 
This is very business. This is business. <laughs> That's why we're wearing matching tops. It's business. <laughs> exactly. I put earrings in. Are <laughs> <laughs> you missing your characters? Are you missing dressing up? Or those lashes? Do you just sometimes want to put them on for the sake of it? Or No, not really. Like, um, I, don't, <laughs> I do and I don't. I think yeah. I... Um, I, I think it's been, in some ways, it's been good for us because we have performed pretty much solidly these yeah. for 13 years and it forced us to stop and yeah. think about why we do it and what we enjoy about it and what it, and it kind of what it is we do because I took for granted that we write what we do. Like, it almost felt like, you know, the bit here in the studio and the kind of bit where we don't have the makeup on that's like a bit of a process that we have to get go through in order to be on stage with the makeup and the costumes in front of an audience. And actually now I realize how much I enjoy the writing part of it. And um, that was not me farting by the way, that was Liv's phone. I definitely miss being Maurice at times. Like I miss the cat, I miss her. But I, I equally don't miss the faff of getting to becoming <laughs> a, like putting the makeup on, putting the like, that process is really, really useful before I go on stage because it's quite, it's, it's got a meditative quality to it actually, like putting the makeup on, it's kind of ritualistic moment and then you're kind of ready. Um, but it's also, a, you know, a bit of a pain in the ass um, to, to do. So, but I kind of, I like, I miss that sort of, the, yeah, the, the sort of, the things I could do, I can do when I'm Maurice, or I feel I can do when I'm Maurice. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel I can do when I'm me. Mm. Oh, sounds way more tragic than I, than I meant it. <laughs> I'm just really missing the attention. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's why I was looking forward to this Zoom because I was like, "Oh, they're going to give thing. You know, they're going to just talk me up." And I'm really happy <laughs> to <be> myself <laughs> on Sunday. On Sunday, I just, I got dressed up, you know, dressed up, I mean, kind of like, I put a nice hat on, I put some, like, platform boots on, and I went for a trot around the neighbourhood, just so <laughs> get some Did you get the attention you needed? Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I put a nice colourful coat, and I was away, I was like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is just attention-seeking, I want some kind of just, like, you know, yes. that's what I want to feel, and that's what... It's not, it's not the reason why I perform, but it's certainly one of the kind of like rewards of performing, which I enjoy mm. yeah. being centre of attention for however long that lasts. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of, it's, a, it's almost like a taboo thing to say that, that that's what one enjoys with performing, because it's sort of like, if oh, you're just an attention seeker. No, it's so much more than that. But it's like, oh no, but it is quite a bit of that as well. <laughs> like, I agree. I, I love it. You yeah. Know, of course. Yeah. Do. otherwise it'd be a, such a painful experience every time you're on stage if one hated the attention did you do um when you uh published the new girl mm. did you do kind of book tour type stuff and signings and things like that was that kind of part of the were you kind of meeting your re- your readership i suppose your audience in a different way after yeah that? and that's something i pushed for because i was like <clears throat> you know i'm a perf- you know i'm not a shy retiring writer mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be seen out in public it's like you know get me around every bloody waterstones that the united <laughs> kingdom has <laughs> waterstone tours even if they hadn't booked you you were there burning <laughs> up with my book <laughs> yeah no i love doing that because it's i love those little meet and greets at waterstones or you know other bookstores wherever it may be i did a few i did i actually did one at the glory i did one at the vfd dalston and um 
did Manchester. So you do things like, you know, literary tours or book tours. I mean, I think it depends on how famous you are and how much money your publishers are willing to put behind you in mm. terms of promotion. But I went to places like um, Jersey. Oh. <laughs> Jersey, I did Jersey. Jersey Literature Festival. Um, somewhere in Yorkshire, I think it's called Ilkey. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So things like that pop up, it's nice. And um, yeah, you know, you have get interviewed, asked about your writing process and then you sign some books, it's nice. Particularly, I think like when you're in areas that don't have much in the way of kind of LGBTQ people coming through, mm. um, you know, which you find, I think, when you're a performer, don't you? And if you have some gigs in different cities or even different countries, you know, when there's those kids there that really need to see you yeah, and really appreciate you being there. Even if you're like, oh my God, I've really got to go there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And it can be sometimes the, the, small, the small crowd and you're like, oh Jesus, this is going to be humiliating or whatever. <laughs> and sometimes it can be, but it is amazing when you, though sometimes those small crowds are made up of small people that really want to see you. Yeah. And need, to, and need that. That's yeah, just... exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so <clears throat> this lockdown, I, I didn't intend, I didn't write a book because it was lockdown. Actually, I'm not, you know, not that productive, but I did, I'd wor- I've been working towards the recent book for the last two and a half years, actually. And it just so happened that I signed the deal as I finished my MA and then lockdown happened. So actually it was kind of a nice time to spend writing my next book. Um, Although I will say that, you know, I can't write at home. I need to go somewhere else to write. If I'm at home, I just start, you know, doing the washing up or like doing the things that you really don't need to do at home, like clean the skirting boards. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Those jobs. So, So at some some points it was really hard to write because also my partner was at home. Um, So it's just like, you know, when you have other people around you, there's so much stuff going on. And um, so I had to really kind of like try and find places where I could go and write. And luckily, because it was summer, Mm. some people were away. So I could actually like go and stay at friends' houses and write for a few days here and there, which was really nice. But yeah, the next book's coming out. August or September 2021. Um, it did have a title, but now we're not sure on the title. Okay. Okay. Because we're not sure if it's really suitable or sellable. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe sellable is more the right word. I don't know. But, um, in many ways, like it's the follow-up to the new girl, but not not necessarily kind of like what I did next, but sort of a specific area. So, you know, part of my journey and uh, journey, part of my what's another? You know, you sort of you constantly when you write things like um, funding applications, you always come up with the same words, don't yeah. you? It's like how can you find a different word than explore? Yeah. My oh, practice explores. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I feel that when I'm talking about like my transition it's like journey oh my god like what's another word for journey yeah um voyage (laughs) (laughs) quest (laughs) this journey that we're all on okay guys it's like gonna expand our third eye we're gonna go interdimensional at this point 
But you know, I don't know. But basically, this um, part of my, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why I'm so well-rounded and present in a lot of creative aspects in my life at the moment is I am in recovery. So I'm in recovery from uh, many sort of addictions, a lot that were you know, very prevalent when I still had lived in London, you know, 15 years ago, uh, you know, specifically sort of like alcohol related or drug related. And um, I mentioned that in The New Girl, but it had only a sort of a small chapter and it was kind of like the bridge to, you know, the, to embarking on my transition. And uh, for me, like being sober and transitioning are the sort of like integral journeys that have happened together see the word journey there again just <laughs> slipped out <laughs> you know they're, really, they're just sort of intertwined and i find that i think i think i've you know i've had a very successful transition and i'm very sort of like sort of happy with you know where i've landed at the moment and much of that has to do with the fact that i um have been sober for the last eight years. Now, I think that's a really interesting point there, and I wanted to explore that further in some writing. And um, I go to 12-step recovery groups, and I'm kind of very aware that there's very few trans people in 12-step recovery, unless it's a specific LGBTQ meeting itself. And so I wanted to kind of put my story with other trans addicts stories and put it into a book. And um, so that it can find that person who I don't know is in Dundee and really struggling with their sexuality, with their identity, uh, with addiction issues, whatever it may be, um, to kind of, you know, try and reach that demographic. So that's what it's about. It was called Help, I'm Addicted a trans girl's self-discovery and recovery. But, which I think is very catchy and I was very proud of that, but I think, um, I don't know, I don't know if people are gonna read a book that says help, I'm addicted on it. I'm a bit kind of like questionable about that right now. Mm. So I'm, you know, in the process of trying to think of a new title, but I think it will, I think the title will appear. Yes. Maybe it's my journey. <laughs> my journey. <laughs> Or just journey. Journey. Let's embrace the journey. Oh, I look forward to reading that because I, I loved The New Girl so much. And I think that what I loved about The New Girl in, lo in so many things, it was very, it was so positive and so full of love. And that sounds so cheesy. But also because, and it's so interesting then that this book will be about your transition, but also addiction because there's so much sort of I think stereotyping obviously around trans identities and how it's like a troubled person and a, and a and a damaged person and a damaged this and how negative that all is and what the new girl was it wasn't it wasn't it was a no holds barred you weren't like oh my life's been brilliant and lovely how lucky am I it was like it was open and honest but it was ultimately a very kind of positive book mm -hmm. and that was quite ref quite new I think in the in the sort of representation in mainstream media of trans identities um yeah no I agree and it, uh, <clears throat> the publishers were really pushing me to to put loads of positive stuff in there and I think I think you're right I think I I found that quite difficult to write positively actually because it was kind of like there was some things which 
weren't positive. And so that's why the whole truth had to be in there because it was like, I want to get a rounded experience, but also like you have correctly identified, it's like there is this notion that we're all broken and we'll fix ourselves if we do this. And, you know, that's obviously true of some people, but not everybody. Mm. And I think that's generally what I get a lot of feedback from the new girl is, is that sense of honesty, that openness, the fact that like there is a positive message within it that gives people hope. And that's something that I'm trying to also do with the next book is like to say, this is what it was like. This is what I've done to change that. And this is how great it is now. Mm. It's the journey. <laughs> the pressure when you were publishing it and when you were writing the column because suddenly as soon as you stand up and say and talk about your own experience you sort of end up speaking for a community did you feel any kind of pressure about that yes and I think that's why in the new girl I deliberately didn't include a lot of the um the inner work that I'd been doing around addiction um because I felt like I was sort of like portraying a slick media, very sort of like positive trans person. And I didn't want people to really know, kind of know the icky stuff that was happening. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of fear around that because it was in a sense, a lot of my own shame that I still hadn't really dealt with. And so it's taken me the process of like, right since writing the new girl which was four years ago to kind of like work on some more of that shame see kind of like what's happening to be able to then write about it to then be able to talk about it in a way that has clarity and that's what i lacked if you know you know five years ago you know it's like the longer you get along your journey the more you realize <laughs> the more you can talk about it yeah so, you know i mean it's like any sort of uh, any sort of time span is like I remember if I think back sometimes to the, to the work I was making performatively in 2007 it's just like oh god what was that it's like sometimes it's really like you go through such a long period of time before you realize a lot of stuff or you, you actually get to like what you want to do mm. yeah really sort of like about peeling away all those layers to find like your your true voice in a sense I can't listen to the songs we wrote like 10 years ago anymore. I'm like, ah! Oh, God. No. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, if someone, if someone sort of picked us up and rewound the clock and dropped us into our like 2007 selves, it would be really bizarre. Wouldn't it would it? be so oh. strange. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy not to be back there. Yeah. <laughs> like it was... yeah we're knocking 40 kids. We ain't done too badly. <laughs> <laughs> just, hey. Yeah. Just desperately clawing at skincare now. That's so much. <laughs> <laughs> do you um do you have any performance plans coming up sorry i just had this amazing flashback <laughs> <laughs> i just had this flashback i think we were in the bistro tech toilets you know which was the dressing room yes. which and we were like we were comparing baby wipes do you remember when we used to take our makeup off with baby wipes and our faces would be bright red and i remember you george saying we just had to put more makeup on. And it was like, <laughs> we never used to care, did we? We just used to like, oh God, yeah, lovely. What was the question though before that I, I interrupted you? It was a good question, wasn't it? Oh, performance is coming up, that was it. <clears throat> good performance work. 
Well, in many ways, my like daily Instagram live feels like a show. Mm. I've, I've started dressing up since I've been watching The Crown season four. I've really started dressing up. <laughs> <laughs> You've been throwing some Princess Diana doe eyes at the camera every now and again. <laughs> well, I didn't get asked to audition for the part of Fergie. I mean, I would love <laughs> that role. I was born for that role. You really well. So, I'm just waiting for her appearance. But um, yeah, no, I, I haven't got any performance plans uh, lined up. I would like to, I'm applying for, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm applying for residencies, funding, things like that. <clears throat> Touch wood, I'm touching my floor. If one of those um, comes through, great. There'll be something next year. But I think it's also that thing of like, no one knows, do they? I mean, I don't know what it's like in London, but we know that lockdown's going to go on till the start of December. But then, really, what are they? Are they going to put eighty people in a theatre? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And no, you, we can't make any firm plans because the theatres can't make any firm plans. They can, yeah. yeah. I mean, in theory, you're having a show of yours next year. It'd be great, but who knows? You know. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. You just got to keep. It's I was trying to stay positive because I think it's really, it does infuriate me actually, because I think in theatres, particularly big theatres, if you're sat in a seat and there's no one like, you know, 10 seats away, there's a space of 10 seats and there's another person. I mean, it's so safe. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so safe. So, um, you know, like I just, yeah, it's really hard to say, isn't it? And it kind of like, it's hard to know like, if by next spring we will be able to do what we do. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? You do, do you think next spring will... Someone mentioned next spring to me earlier and I thought, next spring? But, you know, I mean, time does move quickly. Um, so... I think deep down, I don't know. I just don't know. I think these things, I think for me, it feels like this thing is taking a lot longer than I had anticipated. Um, and I think the more it drags on, the more it's, the, the more it's sort of having an effect really, because the more it's dividing people, the more, the more it drags on, the more people are saying, actually, no, I'm not going to abide by these restrictions. I'm not going to wear a mask. So there's all these divisions happening and that's happening a lot in Berlin, actually. Um, so I think sometimes like, is it ever going to get sorted? Because, because literally the first lockdown felt like it's lockdown. Everyone knows what the deal is. But the second lockdown is a bit like, oh, for some people it's this, for some people it's that. And that's why it's kind of like thinking, will it ever get better? I don't know. Yeah. That's not a very positive way to think about <laughs> is it, Rihanna? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'm trying to wrap it up in a positive yeah. way. <laughs> Who knows if it's going to get better? It will, yeah. it will, it will be, get better. It will get better. It will be different. It will just be yeah. different, which aren't, isn't, different isn't bad. That was Rhiannon Styles. We've been George and Liv. Thank you so much for listening. And do get in touch if you have any suggestions for who else you'd like us to chat to in the next season. And definitely, definitely do get in touch if you want to sponsor the next season. So, um, have a nice day. I don't know how you really end this. It feels like such parting is such sweet sorrow. We don't know when we'll see you again. Bye. Yeah, have a lovely, lovely year. 
I don't know which period of time. Yeah, we're just gonna do an awkward zo- wave at you, like you do on Zoom. Oh yeah. Bye. Bye. Curtain twitchers. We're curtain twitchers.